we were outside in the balcony and we heard an auction happening and we'd only been together a year and we were like oh we were like oh my god that sold for like 300,000 that like you know that would be cheaper than the rent we're paying and so we were in our mid-20s I think and that was the real light bulb moment for us that everything snowballed from. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Sham and in this episode, we're speaking with Dawn Fui, the founder of Future Proof Property Advisory. With a passion for helping people in property and through all the ups and downs of life, her story has taken her across the world and Australia. Now, a Melbourne local, she can't wait to help others in her line of work make the most of their opportunities. Dawn Fui is Irish by birth and has called Australia home for the last 14 years. Living in Melbourne and working as an intensive care nurse, she divides her work life into both nursing and property investment. Also, a founder and director of her own spies agency, she's passionate about helping others in nursing achieve their property and financial goals. Doing both part-time. So, uh, I work 60 hours a fortnight as an intensive care nurse. I, I've always uh, done that. I, I manage one of the intensive care unit pods um, and then, uh, yeah, work really hard on the buyer's agency part-time helping other uh, nurses find freedom, financial freedom through property. So the shifts are 12-hour shifts. So we do a rotating roster. So I do 50% nights and uh, work that around our son's childcare. He's two. Uh, so my partner, Melissa, she's very supportive. She works Monday to Friday. I do shift work. Um, so we just make it all work. She grew up in rural Ireland countryside, a childhood many of us can only dream of. While she loved the experience, she had somewhere away from home on her mind. I'm one of four. I'm the oldest kid. Uh, really like went to a village, local village primary school, uh, went to a convent secondary school. Um, I had a very uh, lovely upbringing, uh, but very sheltered. Uh, so then Irish people in general want to chase the home and away dream. That's what we would watch every every day after, after high school, go home and watch home and away. And so then that's what led 10 of us traveling together to Australia. But, you know, it wasn't anything like home and away. Her dreams of Summer Bay didn't quite match up to reality, but this was far from a negative for her. I think my first impression was there was just so much to to do and and to see and uh, you know it's such a such a young country in so far as um, you know being being a settled country but before that there's so much rich history with the First Nations people and learning all about that I, I um, did a lot of work in the outback my first few years here in Western Australia and Queensland and uh, doing some outback nursing there, helping in Aboriginal communities. So that was fantastic. As for her childhood in the Emerald Isle, much of it was spent outdoors in the fresh country air. I felt like we never uh, wanted for anything. Um, we didn't necessarily grow up 
you know, wealthy. There was nobody in our family who ever like did property investing. Um, you know, my parents worked really, really hard. We never really had like a lot of stuff. We played outside a lot. We played a lot of sport, building our own, you know, cubby houses. Um, and yeah, there was a lot of focus on uh, going to university and getting a good job. And it was always to follow that trajectory. Her father works in construction, so long hours certainly runs in the family. In that same vein, she followed her mother's footsteps in regards to her career. I would work away a lot, a really, really hard worker, always working, uh, real physical labour jobs. Um, my mother then, uh, she, uh, she's the best, she um, is actually a care assistant, so she would go around to people's homes helping them. Um, you know, get dressed and, and shower and, you know, sort out their meals. And she's such a caring person. She'd been doing that job for 30 years. So, um, yeah, she's she's a real inspiration, my mum. To be honest, so how nursing came around. So I actually uh, was trying to pursue radiography and I didn't get the points for it because I didn't, you know, standard. I... Um, I just didn't achieve the, the marks to get it. So then my second choice was nursing. So kind of fell into nursing, moved away from home to go to university, um, lived in share houses and then followed intensive care nursing because I just really wanted to level up in my nursing and to care for some of the sickest, sickest patients and learn how to care for them. When I came to figuring out her life path after school, there wasn't much figuring out to do. I guess I didn't know any better. Nobody was doing anything different. Everybody was just following the same path that was that was laid out for you. You know, this is the um, the nineties in in Ireland. Um, it it was just kind of you just follow what everyone else does, and everybody goes to university, and everybody gets married and has babies, and that's just you know. That's what life is, right? Or is it? <laughs> we were always encouraged to work when we were young. So my first job was when I was 14. Um, just like helping out in a hairdresser's sweeping floors. And then I went through a whole range of jobs from uh, working in a factory. I was um, a phone operator in a, in a taxi office. So the days when... Um, you would use a handheld microphone to call out, you know, Charlie, Charlie, pick up at, you know, it was like two-way radio. Um, worked in like supermarkets, bakeries, a whole host of different jobs. But I think in hindsight, that's what gave me um, a real interest in like people and then looking after people and knowing and learning how to talk to people because I think I was forced from a young age to um, just get out there and get working and give things a go. And because I was the oldest of four, um, I would work every weekend before college uh, just to pay for my way through university. Um, and yeah, that was never the expectation, but it was something that was always instilled in us was to work hard and that everything else would follow. Her degree took four years to complete and involved a lot of hospital-based training to prepare her for what was to come. So I was having to work, uh, getting paid very little if not at all and going to university 
as well. And even when you're talking about the resilience piece, uh, something I remembered from when I was 16 and, you know, people can't talk this way now, but like I'd done a really terrible job of like baking these scones and um, the owner came down and was like, the scones were so hard. He was able to just bang them off of the counter. And was just basically like, if you're going to keep doing this work, you can find another job, you know, that kind of way. So, um, but I just, it's all those like micro moments that really, build up your resilience that like you said I feel like that doesn't happen nowadays um I feel like it's very different to when we were growing up definitely because you have to be accountable you know you have to be accountable for yourself and and your actions and uh yeah that's something that I really hold in high regard is accountability when she finished studying Foy went straight into full-time work on a medical ward taking care of the elderly years ago we would do seven 12-hour night shifts in a row and we had only just finished our nursing and you would be in charge of the ward with an agency nurse. Uh, again, lots of resilience building and nursing in Ireland. Uh, we just didn't have a choice. You were thrown into the deep end. So I think all through my life, I've always been thrown into the deep end and had to uh, learn how to swim very quickly. Coming up after the break, she explains what she got up to between Ireland and Australia. On the way over, we did a lot of traveling. The unusual living situation from her early days in Australia. I don't remember meeting a property manager. She reveals where and how her interest in property began. So for us, we were actually uh, renting an apartment at the time in the inner suburbs of Melbourne. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Sham and you're listening to Property Investory. Foley's transition into nursing was definitely emotionally challenging but also rewarding experience. Well, I guess it's being like a 20-year-old with no real life experience having to be with people when they're dying and making sure they're comfortable and they have dignity and it's a real privilege to be able to care for patients like that. It's something that is a really important part of our job. Um, because all of these people have a story and right at the end, it's really important that we give them the most dignity and care possible. It's a lot to take on, but but more so it's the emotion of the family in the room that, that you take on because they're grieving somebody, they're about to lose their loved one. So they're having the worst day of their life in your workplace where you work and it's your job to look after them. So. That's a pretty unique job, but then it also gave me an extremely unique perspective in that time is a non-renewable resource. So then when we had our son, um, he's two, we really wanted to try and figure out how we can get as much time as possible. And then that's how was our real kind of foray into property investing. When she arrived in Australia in the mid-2000s, she didn't come straight from Ireland. On the way over, we did a lot of traveling, so traveled all around South America, uh, did the Inca Trail. So we were a bunch of uh, young, naive um, Irish 
girls who didn't know that the Inca Trail was, you know, a real physical feat. We we thought it was, you know, a little hike. And so I just had a pair of Converse and um, at the time, you know, I was smoking and it was, oh my God. Anyway, managed to complete, made it to Machu Picchu with my Converse on, somehow survived the altitude sickness and made it. Um but so naive, like ridiculously naive, um, crazy. So, you know, that's on so many people's bucket lists and they train and they do this and that. And I think we'd been out the night before and got straight on the bus and there we were. I had all these llamas overtaking me on the Inca Trail and I was like barely able to breathe. <laughs> I think we did. And the lack of oxygen probably from the altitude. We had a great time. We did a... Lots of cool things. Uh, South America is an amazing place. And then came to Australia, landed in Sydney. Much like many young people arriving in Australia from overseas, Foy and her friends didn't have any concrete plans other than the one to follow their hearts. We got off the plane and we stayed in a backpackers in, in Coogee and uh, then we eventually got a rental uh, place on Bondi Road. So I think at one time there was seven of us in like a two-bedroomed um not even an apartment it was actually beautiful thinking about now it was like this art deco it was almost like a house that had been turned into uh, a whole section of rooms um and yeah it was it was beautiful it was a really nice place um but yeah that was just how we lived all of us all of us in together there was there was four of us in one room at one stage all single beds or double beds and it was like charlie in the chocolate factory <laughs> I don't remember meeting a property manager. I remember it being like, <laughs> I remember it being just a thing that was passed kind of through Irish person to Irish person. You could rent this place. And I think it was all just done directly through the landlord and they made a nice profit. <laughs> it was a great location, Bondi Road. Uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Once she settled in one of Australia's most prestigious locations, she went off to work in various hospitals in the area before moving on. We were really in the mindset of wanting to experience life and experience Sydney and everything Australia had to offer. So we wanted work to come second to that. But six months in, we were partying a lot, going out a lot. So we all decided to go off and do our own remote and rural nursing contracts. So I went on my own uh, to a place called Mikathara, the middle of uh, WA, uh, four hours outside of Geraldton and uh also um was in a nursing post in a p place called q so i was you know in my early 20s i was the only nurse manning this you know clinic basically in a town of 300 people so it was just me the nearest hospital was you know like uh, hours away well at the start i was i didn't feel anything i think i was so naive i and then it got more overwhelming as time went on, the responsibility and, you know, we'd have to run um, clinics uh, for children and expectant mothers and uh, people with, you know, like mental health conditions and anything. We could have someone come in and they would be having heart attack symptoms and I would have to triage them and try and find some way to get them out of this little village so they could live. And I was only in my early 20s, uh, so... Yeah, it paid really well because obviously nobody wanted to do it. So except for like, you know, uh, young Irish nurses. 
it was an amazing experience, amazing experience. In the hospital I worked at in Mikatara, it was fantastic. We all, um, there was a few nurses that lived together in like kind of like a boarding house and the hospital was literally like 50 meters away. So we would just do shifts, go back and yeah. I was there probably four months all up in between those two locations. So managed to save up a lot of money and then met up with the rest of my friends in Darwin. And we traveled all down along the East Coast, uh, camper vans. I remember parking in like car parks in the Gold Coast in like um, our camper van or camping on the beach and just a very uh, live by the seat of your pants lifestyle, just real day to day, work hard, but play even harder. And we survived it somehow. Life continued on the same trajectory from there, traveling around before she found a reason to settle down. A real kind of Peter Pan mindset, same kind of thing. We moved to Melbourne again, almost like a rooming house, eight of us together in a two bedroom apartment. Um, and yeah, I was doing a lot of agency work and meeting a lot of different people. And I guess I only really started to see a future and a pathway to my life in Australia when, when I met my partner. So um, she's Australian. Uh, so I think that was the real moment for me that I saw a future in Australia. The, the plan was always to come here a year's working holiday, live it up. But, you know, life had other plans. She had been in Australia for a year before meeting her partner and reaching the turning point that made her realize this was home. I really enjoyed the, the lifestyle here and just the freedom and to me, you know, Melbourne in particular was a very liberal uh, city at the time um, and it felt more and more like home the longer I stayed here. The working conditions, the wages, the opportunities as a woman in um in nursing and, and, and the medical field. There was a lot more progression here in Australia than in Ireland. Um, and I just felt like I could really be me in Australia. Once Valerie understood the opportunities that were available to her, her property realization and dream started to fall into place. So for us, we were actually uh, renting an apartment at the time in inner the inner suburbs of Melbourne. And we'd, we were outside in the balcony and we heard an auction happening. And we'd only been together a year and we were like, oh, we were like, oh my God, that sold for like 300,000. That, like, you know, that would be cheaper than the rent we're paying. And so we were in our mid 20s, I think. And that was the real light bulb moment for us that everything snowballed from. Uh, because uh, Melissa, my partner, she's the she's the numbers person, she's the data's data person, and she was like, you know, it's going to be cheaper for us to buy somewhere. Why don't we do that? Um, so, so then we started on the usual, you know, looking around, and we wanted a little dog, so we were trying to factor in. We had a little dog. We were trying to factor space into that, and we ended up moving further out to kind of a bayside suburb. We got a villa. Uh, unbeknownst to ourselves it was a really good decision at the time uh, so it was a two bedroom villa uh, really nice uh, outside and it was the front unit it was one of I think one of 12 in a really nice suburb in Melbourne 
Um, and at the time, I still remember all of our friends thinking we were crazy. Why are we moving so far away, 20 minutes down the road? And, you know, like, we're still young, we're going out, like, why are you buying a place? And there there seemed to be, um, because nobody else that we knew are in our life was doing that. Taking risks has always been up her alley and become even more so once she had her partner in crime and in life by her side. And I think that's how we always operated and have operated ever since. We like to not follow the herd. If anything, we will go against it and just really trust ourselves. Um, so we sat in that place for about three years. We saw the property prices going up and up in Melbourne. We were like, oh, so we're trying to think long term and we really wanted to start a family. But before you have kids, you don't know the type of home you need, right? So we then ended up getting a townhouse. So we moved from the villa to the townhouse. But in those three years of having that villa, I think we'd made upwards of $280,000 from that in that time. Yeah, so we were able then to to, uh, bring that into a townhouse. And we only moved the next suburb over. Um, But we got a townhouse, a three-bed, three-bath, one living space, knowing now having kids you need more than one living space. Um, and we've been here ever since in the townhouse. But the real thing that got us into investing was that point of going from villa to townhouse to what's next. So we were like, we're running out of space. Our son needs more space. You know, we probably need to buy a house. And then uh, this is like uh, end of 2021, Melbourne, looking at house prices going, there's nothing that we really want within our budget. Um, what are we going to do? Like, do we just sell up now and settle for something? And then we had started watching different YouTube videos on property investing um you know listened to the audiobook of rich dad poor dad like everybody does uh learning about leverage and the more and more we consumed this content we were like what are we doing <laughs> why are we <laughs> why are we so like obsessed with like you know like getting the house and you know like for who who are we getting the house for are we getting it for ourselves or are we getting it for other people are we getting it for our son who is that for and so we really had to examine like what family meant to us and for us the bricks and mortar has nothing got to do with it as long as we're all together that's it so it was just changing our mindset around that was huge for us getting into investing Don Foy's story continues in the next episode of Property Investory. We delve deeper into her own property journey. We bought it at the start of 2022 and it has served us very well. How she and her partner have been navigating their portfolio. Melissa was keen to diversify and I was very headstrong uh, in being like, no, no, we need to go back to Perth again. Like this is just, 
too good. She explains why hindsight is one of the most important things we can have in our toolbox. And we would be done by now. We would have had the passive income. And that's next time on Property Investory.